in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And perhaps we could have the map uh, up, um, Philip and James of um, Thessalonians, or Thessalonica. So 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, 5, and then we're going to read from uh, 2 Thessalonians. So last week we noted that Paul was writing to the churches of Galatia. Uh, That's the white circle, that's the area. Uh, Paul did a series uh, of missionary journeys and the first missionary journey was in that area. And then the next time he went across to what we today would call Europe and the Macedonia, Greece, and where you've got the red circle, right in there, uh, in that corner, is Thessalonica. Uh, It is a coastal uh, city uh, of the first century. Uh, So, um, uh, modern day um, uh, Greece is the uh, area that we're in there. Okay? So let's read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 then. And we read from verse uh, 12. Now we ask you, brothers... To respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. And then page 1190, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honoured just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord that you are doing Uh, And will continue to do the things we command. May the Lord direct your hearts into God's love and Christ's perseverance. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you brothers to keep away from every brother who is idle or is disorderly. And does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle or disorderly when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, labouring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, 
But in order to make ourselves a model for you to follow. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle or disorderly. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take note of him. Do not associate with him in order that he may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Our sermon today is the fifth in a short series on the theme, Do Not Lose Heart. Do not lose heart. We are conscious that there are many things in the life of the Christian. There are many things in the world around us. And there are even things in the church itself that could cause us to lose heart. But this little verb is used a total of six times and we're looking at the occasions when it is used. We come this morning to Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, page 1190. And our text today is chapter 3 and verse 13. And as for you, brothers, never tire of doing what is right. Or as for you, brothers, do not lose heart in doing good. Now, perhaps... um, And I hope you're saying, did we not think last week about doing good? Is this simply more of the same? Well, it is a different word. It's the only used once in the New Testament. And it has a different emphasis from the word that we saw last week. The emphasis in this word now is doing good to be an example. And so uh, we uh, could translate it as do not lose heart in being an example. Do not lose heart in being an example. When parents go out for the evening, 
They will say to their children, we want you to be good until we come home. It's not a vague command or suggestion that children can fill out with their own ideas or preferences. It's not a license to do whatever they want to do for the next hour or two. Rather, it is an instruction from their parents to behave as they have been taught and trained to. To act and behave as their parents have set them an example. So do not lose heart in being an example. We want to look at this theme this morning in two directions. First of all, as Paul writes to this church in Thessalonica, only about three years of age, a toddler church, he says to them, be an example of apostolic living. In other words, he's saying very simply, I want you to live your daily lives as I lived my daily life when I was among you. I am an apostle, one sent by Christ. And yes, I was sent to preach the gospel to you, that you would come to repent and believe in Jesus Christ and be saved. But part of that gospel is also living in a way to please God. Living in a way that reflects Jesus Christ more and more. And Paul is able to say, as we'll see in a moment, I was an example to you of the way in which you should now live over against the old way in which you lived. This saying that we're looking at, or this verse that we're looking at in verse 13, do not lose heart in being an example, concludes a section of teaching that begins in verse 6 and ends in verse 13. In other words, it's a kind of catch-all summary statement at the end. And you will see that the words are addressed not to the elders of the church, who most certainly are to be an example of godly living. His command is not addressed to parents in the church, who also are to be an example of Christ's likeness to their children. But now this teaching is addressed to the rank and file membership. Every last member, whatever their age in life, whatever their marital status in life, whatever their financial situation in life, whatever the context in which they live and work. And he says, I want you to be an example. Now, why does he have to say that? Well, he has to say that because in this congregation, 
there is a minority. There is a group. There are some. And they are, verse 6, idle. It's translated in the NIV. In some of the older translations, it's translated, or some of the other translations, it's translated as disorderly. Idle is a good um, translation here because Paul is looking at one particular aspect of disorderly living. There are many other aspects of disorderly living and the word itself is wider and bigger than being idle. But in this context, it has to, it's been applied with regard to daily life and daily work. Look at verse 11. We hear, notice Paul wasn't afraid to address church members on the basis, oh, we have heard. He didn't have to see it himself, but he had heard it and he was convinced of the reliability of it. And he said, we hear there are some among you who are disorderly or who are idle. I think it's John Stott that uses the word who are loafers or layabouts. The kind of group of men that you would see in a village and they're sitting on the bridge every day or they're standing on the street corner and it doesn't matter what time of the day you go through the town or the village, there they are sitting, talking, putting the world to right and putting other people's lives to right that go past. And the picture here behind this word of being idle, it's a very simple one, but a very powerful one. It's the picture of an army marching and there's some of the soldiers who are out of step. They're marching out of step. And Paul says there in Thessalonica, there are some members and in terms of the area of work, They are out of step with apostolic living. They're out of step with the majority of members of the congregation who provide for themselves and their families. Look at verse 8 where Paul draws the contrast between them and the apostles or the apostolic team. We worked night and day doesn't mean 24 hours a day, but he means we work long hours, laboring and toiling, uh, hard and wearying work of being a tent maker. Why? That we would not be a burden to you. But there are some, a minority in your congregation, and they are being, in fact, a burden to the rest of the congregation. Because they don't work. And they're drawing on church finances to live. And they actually impact church fellowship in a negative way. Because you will notice in verse 11, he describes them as busybodies. So they're people who go around meddling in other people's affairs. And there's nothing that actually makes you uh, or I draw back from a fellow Christian more than when we feel that they're not getting on with their own things 
and their responsibilities, and yet they will come and they will meddle in yours or in someone else's. And it damages fellowship. It doesn't just lower the coffers of the church, it damages fellowship. They damage the church's witness also. Because there's a world out there that watches you and me as Christians. And every time we do something that they think is not right. uh, Or is not according to what they have to do. So if they see Christians not working. And just wandering around the place. And interfering in other people's affairs. They'll say. I wouldn't. I don't want to know that Christ. I don't want to belong to that church or be amongst those people. And so this minority are out of step with the rest of the church and with the apostle. So be an example of apostolic teaching. Paul says, work in order to earn your daily bread. And he says that's what we did. And of course that's what our saviour did. He worked as a carpenter. For the 29 years. Or not the 29 years. But certainly up until he was 29. 30 years of age. When he became the preacher that God had wanted him to be. Remember Jesus called the twelve from work. Peter and Andrew, James and John. What were they doing? They were in their boats. They were mending their nets. And where did he find Matthew? He found him at uh, in his uh, seat outside the city collecting the taxes. Called from work. And so be an example of apostolic living. Do not lose heart in being an example in the realm of work. Now your work may be dull. It may be routine. It may be monotonous. Perhaps you are not appreciated by those for whom you work. And you sometimes wonder, would they miss you if you didn't turn up for work? And in that situation, it can be very easy to lose heart. What's the point in me beating my head in? What's the point of me being in work even not just on time but early in the morning? What's the point of me staying later in the evening if nobody notices it? Or what's the point in me um, working flat out and there's others around me and they are just punching in their time. They're doing as little as they can. And you can lose heart. Because of those that are working around you. Or perhaps not working around you. And they're getting as much thanks. Maybe far more thanks. 
because they're keeping in with other people and they're busybodying and they're talking to the right people. And Christ says to this this morning, through his servant Paul, do not lose heart and being an example in the place of your work. Those who work around you, your witness will rise up against them in the day of judgment. If they have not sought Christ and if they have not believed in him. Young people at school, do your absolute best. Work hard. It's not a question of, well, I'll just do whatever gets me through. Or you're not to think, well, I'm not going to be doing this subject long term. And I'm going to be doing something else. And so, well, I'm just going to punch my time in, do as little as possible. That's not honouring to Christ. Even if you're never to do it again. Whatever you're asked to do in school, in that curriculum in school, be an example to the non-Christian boys and girls that are seated all around you in your class. Be an example before your teacher. That your teacher's not having to say to the senior teachers or the principal, that boy, that girl, they say they're a Christian. They come from a church-going family. And you know what? He or she is the nightmare of my life because I can't get them to have their books with them, the right books. I can't get them to focus on their work. I can't get them to do their homework. Paul says, do not lose heart in being an example. Young people, be an example. Follow Jesus and follow his apostles. But then secondly, we want to note this morning, be an example of apostolic teaching. Be an example of apostolic teaching. The 16th century... English poet John Donne is credited with those words that we've probably all heard, no man is an island, entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. In other words, we belong together as human beings. And we belong together as the body of Christ. We have a responsibility to our fellow human beings and we have a responsibility to one another in the body of Christ. And so now Paul, having spoken to largely the minority in the first point that we've touched on, now speaks to the majority in the second point. Those who are working hard, those who are being an example of apostolic living and uh, who are providing for their families. And Paul says to these people, to this obedient majority, 
there is another responsibility that you have. And it's now towards the disorderly minority. That little group. Whether they're few or whether it's some, um, we don't know. How many they are, we don't know. But they're idling away their weeks and their days and their hours. And Paul says, you, the majority who are working, you have a responsibility. What is it? Well, significantly, it's not to give them church handouts. He doesn't say, keep putting your hand in your pocket and keep giving them or slipping them that five pound note or equivalent in Roman currency every Sabbath day. That they can buy food, that they can put clothes on their children's back, and so on. Rather, he says to them, you, the majority, who've grasped this truth that we are to work to earn our livings, and in doing that we honour Christ, you are to uphold my teaching of three years earlier. Look at verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave uh, this rule, or we kept on giving this rule. If a man will not work, let him not eat. Somebody won't go out to work. You don't have to put your hand in their pocket and to give them handouts. You're to let them go hungry. That's what Paul says. Now we need to understand in first century Greek, Greece, sorry, Slaves worked. So in Thessalonica, if you were in the bottom rung, you worked and you worked hard. But if you were in the top rung of the ladder of society, well, you lived a life of leisure. And you didn't have to work. You um, let others do their work, uh, your work for you. And a person who worked with their hands was especially looked down on. So if you were a labourer, you were a joiner, or you were a builder, or a farmer. Those menial, hand-based uh, tasks, you were looked down upon. And Paul taught them from the beginning, um, either you work, or you go hungry. That would make a big change in our society today, wouldn't it? If we were to apply that truth. Paul has not been callous. He's not been harsh. Paul agrees with supporting the widow. He agrees with supporting the stranger that's just come into the community and hasn't yet got established. Paul agrees with supporting the poor and the, those that are not trained and the sick for whom work is not an option. We know that from his other writings. Yet even then, where they receive support, they would have to contribute something for it. There were no free handouts. So when you go into the Old Testament or go back into the Old Testament, you've got Ruth, the foreigner, and her mother, a widow, and Ruth has to gather the leftover grain in the harvest field to support her mother-in-law. The harvesters are not told, now every day you've got to have a four-stone bag of grain 
and you've got to take it, each of you, to the to those who are without food and without work around the town. No, the onus was placed on the person who didn't have work to go into the field and to glean for that. Later on, Paul will write to the church in Ephesus in 1 Timothy about widows and them receiving support from the church because of no family to provide for them. But even then, those widows were to be given work to do within the church so that they were earning their daily bread. And in Thessalonica, despite Paul's teaching in the first letter, uh, where we read there, chapter 5, there's still those who are refusing to work. So what's the majority to do then? Well, look at verse 6. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command. That's a military word. So an officer commands troops. Paul is saying, this is not optional. This is what we're telling you to do, brothers, to keep away, to withdraw from every brother who is idle. In other words, that ongoing idleness, not an occasional situation, and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. What's Paul saying? Well, he's saying these Christians know. This minority knows what they ought to do. I've told them, as I told you three years ago. I've written about this in my previous letter. And now I'm writing to you again and I'm saying the time has come now when you don't hang out with them. You don't pretend everything's fine. That they're living as they ought to and as Christ wants them to when they aren't. Let them know that you do not approve of their conduct. And I think there's a logic here of Paul that we find in Acts 2 verse 42. Remember there the church is described as and they continued steadfastly in the apostles teaching and fellowship. And Paul is saying if a man or a woman will not continue steadfastly in the apostles teaching and if they're saying we will not obey this word then he says there comes a point you've got to withdraw your fellowship. Those who reject apostolic teaching forfeit the right to Christian fellowship, to church fellowship. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're making a mockery of the truth. And we're encouraging brothers and sisters in their disorderly way of living. But then... I can hear you ask, as I would ask, but what if that continues again? If they continue not to work, despite what Paul has taught three years ago, despite what he said in his first letter, despite what he says now in his second letter, what are members to do? Are we then to say, well, there's nothing more we can do. We've done everything. Well, look at verse 14. 
If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of him. We would say today, I think the closest I can get is mark their card. Mark their card. I don't know where that word, that phrase comes from. Maybe Ronnie could throw some light in it from business, but it's, it's a phrase that's mark somebody's card. In other words, keep an eye out and, and let it be known that, that things are not right. And it seems that there's the, the, the notion here of this being done publicly. Um, I think the NIV is not particularly good in the next statement. It literally means do not mingle. It doesn't mean cut off all contact. But it means do not mingle as if things were normal. It's found in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 and 11 as well. That he may be ashamed. In other words, there comes a point when when someone ignores the teaching of God's word in the body of Christ. And they're doing something disorderly. There comes a point when fellowship has got to be withdrawn. And when things have got to be addressed in their lives and yet look at the closing statement do not count him as an enemy but keep on warning him and that's the plural it's not left to the church elders or the deacons or the leaders there is a role When it comes to this stage in church life, there's a role that members are to fulfill. In other words, there's not to be a division between, or a difference and a division, between what Paul is teaching and what the members, the majority of the members do. There's not to be a difference and a division between what elders say and do and how members And what members say and do to those who are unruly. And so Paul is saying here, be an example of apostolic living. That's, uh, he's addressing that to the minority. You're out of step. And then he says to the majority, be an example of apostolic teaching. You do have a responsibility to the brother, to the sister who names Christ, but does not walk in a way that honours Christ. And that is to reflect accurately the teaching of Scripture, the leadership of the church, and how they handle these matters. And he's saying, do not grow weary. Or do not lose heart in doing these things. And I think that's significant in itself. Because what sometimes happens is this. When in a church someone is walking in a disorderly way. Evidently and clearly in contradiction to scripture. And... um, The teaching of God's word is brought to bear upon their lives. What often happens in our day and age is people just withdraw. And they just decide, well, I'll go elsewhere. And 
Other people, other churches will accept me the way I am. And you see, that can cause us to lose heart because then we say, well, we've lost that person. We've lost contact with that person. Would it not have been better just to have tried to work with the situation? And Paul does expect us to work with situations. But Paul also says there comes a point and there comes a time when we can't work any longer. And if that person, if that individual continues to be unruly and walks away, that's not your responsibility. That's not our responsibility. That's their responsibility before God. And so he's saying we need to lose, we need to make sure we don't lose heart in standing for um, apostolic teaching and for the outworking of that in our own lives and in the life of the church. And of course, Paul had many such discouragements. Even our Saviour, I think it's John chapter 6, and one day he was speaking and he said something to the crowd that was particularly defining if you want to put it like that. And it says, and from that point, many turned back and followed him no longer. And Jesus even went to the point of saying to the disciples, do you want to go away also? So it's not about, Paul is saying here, that we can believe whatever we want. We can do whatever we want in the church of Christ. Our lives are to be modelled on Christ and his apostles in our living and in our teaching and in our application of that uh, to our life together and not to lose heart in that. Amen.